Howdy ho, my marketing people. Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Shelton. Today, I am chatting with another guy named Jordan, Jordan Rogers, and he's actually from my hometown of Vancouver, British Columbia. Jordan is the founder of Lloyd James, which is a brokerage that helps plant-based brands get into stores across Canada, predominantly helping companies from the US come up. Also helps brands with investment and insight. So interesting conversation just about some of the hurdles that plant-based brands have to really overcome, particularly with getting into the Canadian market and how the industry as a whole, the plant-based food industry, is looking at you know the overall consumer market and where they can fit in and how their strategies are changing. So really interesting in a market that is no doubt emerging and, and growing at a rapid pace. So sit back and enjoy this one. But before we get into that, as always, this podcast is brought to you by Cave Social. Cave Social is a marketing agency based out of Los Angeles, California, that will help grow your business online. So if you're feeling stuck, your online sales aren't growing, your social media accounts aren't growing, head over to cavesocial.com, hit that contact us, and they'll be able to help you out. All right, guys, sit back, enjoy this episode. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. Today, I have Jordan Rogers on the show. He's actually from my hometown, Vancouver, British Columbia. He's one of the founders of the Lloyd James Group, which is Canada's first natural plant-based food brokerage. They really help companies in the Canadian market with three core services, insight, representation, and investment. Jordan, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much for having me, Jordan. Great to hear another uh, Jordan out there. I know. I thought there were only two of us in Vancouver. That's, <laughs> that was it. We went our, Now I'm down in the States. You're up there. Always good to connect with a fellow person who shares my name and uh, Canadian. So I'm glad we can make this happen. Thanks for having me. So that was a real light intro that you know I gave. Basically, you've started the company, but tell me more, man. Tell me about your journey to this point and you know what actually caused Lloyd James to start and where you guys are at now. Sure. It's always an interesting conversation when someone says, Lloyd James, they're like, hey, man, are you in banking? Do you sell ladies' shoes, purses? Like, it sounds kind of a weird name. It all started really with the name, and it's an interesting story. My grandfather in 1943 had 14 children and the eldest of them, sorry, his name was Lloyd. The eldest of them, his son, James, my dad, is really where I got the name from. And I admired my grandfather's sense of discipline, having 14 children and my grandmother, Mary, for putting up with him and his sense of family. And 45 years ago, my dad started a successful financial services business where integrity uh, was number one. So that's always doing the right thing, no matter what the circumstance and, and humor was number two. So the name for our company came from a mashup of my grandfather, Lloyd, and my dad, James. And it's a constant reminder to live those two values in everything that I do and everything that our team does. 
So that's where the name came from. I'm a foodie at heart. I was really passionate about food from an early age. I remember being 12 years old, going into a grocery store near where I presently live. It's called Mine Hearts. It was this really cool, unique grocery store that would always take chances and bring in these new brands that were untested in the market. The Canadian, the U.S. equivalent is Earhorn in Los Angeles. So I remember going into the store, looking on the shelf with my mom and, and seeing these colorful bags of chips. And it turned out uh, they were kettle chips. And I remember thinking, man, these chips are so colorful and, and really cool. How did they get into the Canadian market? And wouldn't it be cool if one day I could bring some products into the market? So fast forward, I did my undergraduate at university and some postgraduate stuff, then was recruited by a big consumer packaged goods company called Dan and Yogurt, where I learned the rules of retail for about two and a half years. They shipped me out to Calgary, Alberta in 2013. We had a pretty terrible flood out there, lost my place in the flood, turned 30, woke up one day and realized, hey, I'm not necessarily passionate about some of the, the products that I'm representing and working for on the sales side. So I need to make a change. I literally called up my mentor and said, hey, I want to represent brands in Canada and, and bring them into the grocery market. And he said, listen, man, you got to scratch that itch and do it. But I said, there's one problem. He said, what's that? I said, I don't have any brands. I don't have any real buyer contacts. And he said, figure it out. So moved back to Vancouver, swam like a salmon upstream for four and a half years, acquired some brands and got them into retailers across the country, uh, built out our, our great team. And then in 2015, we pivoted ahead of the market to represent plant-based brands exclusively. And that was really driven by my lifestyle of living plant forward and, and plant based and seeing that the market was ripe for plant based brands and primarily also the three benefits that we all know eating plant based is great for the environment, animals and our health. So fast forward up to 2019, we did a bit of a rebrand to reflect the end to end services that we offer and, and really our vision at Lloyd James is to lead plant-based brands on the sustained journey to profitability. So we do that through our insight program where we help brands understand the feasibility of entering in the Canadian market and show them the real cost of doing business with um, retailers and distributors, which can be quite daunting for a lot of them. Uh, then we graduate them onto the representation side where we act as a outsourced VP of sales and marketing. And our model there is less brands, more channels of distribution. So we sell gas convenience, conventional, natural, big box and we top out our representation about 10 brands that way we can give them focused um, attention and, and persistence and really grow those brands and then the other piece of our business is the investment side where last year we had one of our brands come to us who we had achieved a large PO at Walmart and the brand said oh man we don't have the the capital to pay for the raw goods so we were like oh crap you know what are we going to do and we quickly pivoted and we're able to offer the brand some financing via home office. And um, it was great for the investors that we partnered with because we were actively managing their money via representing the brand. And then it's also great for the brand because we were able to give some, some the capital to scale and grow. So the three core services really, the insight is educate brands on the Canadian and U.S. market, represent them by being their outsourced VP of sales and marketing, and then finally provide some investment support if it meets the criteria of our uh, investors. So 
that's our, our fun business, which is national now across the country. Very cool. Very cool to hear the story and how it grew. Now, when it comes to that, I'm interested on the insights in particular. What are some of the hurdles that plant-based brands really face with penetrating you know, the Canadian market versus the U.S. market, per se? Well, I mean, we're one-tenth the population at about 36 million. All our population fits inside the size of California. So that's one. Uh, less retail doors. The sheer geography, we're the second largest landmass in the world, and that presents a number of challenges for U.S. brands looking to come up to Canada. One is the exorbitant cost of uh, freight, shipping, and fulfillment to retailers. Second is the petulant Canadian dollar, which moves when oil moves, which can create some uncertainties, and making food items that are imported from the United States on average, 35% more expensive. So I would say it's the currency, it's the shipping, and then some of the high cost of doing business with our retailers in terms of slotting fees and and promotions. So these plant-based brands are really passionate folks. They have great product, but sometimes they don't understand the real cost of doing business and haven't baked those variables into their P&L, which if they haven't done that, can set them up for failure pretty quickly. That makes a ton of sense. Now, take me back, right? When you're starting the company, you're, as you said, we're a salmon swimming upstream. What was that process like getting that first brand to come on? What was that thing where you said, oh, this is going to work? Was there a particular technique you used for that client acquisition? Was it a referral? How did that go down? Sure. I am in the business of being politely persistent. I'm a salesman at heart. That's what I love to do is sell and, and give value to people. And I remember vividly, our first client was a company called Bandar Foods. They had this beautiful Anchar chili sauce. And I remember going down to the United States and I think it was Whole Foods in Bellingham, which is just across the border uh, here in Vancouver. And I saw this sauce and I loved it because it had really clear packaging and it was a squeeze bottle Indian ethnic sauce. And around 2013, 2014, sriracha was all the rage. So I was like, okay, I think this can work in Canada. So I bought a couple bottles at Whole Foods, brought them back with me. And then I decided, hey, how am I going to reach out to these guys to get their attention? So I literally did a ghetto budget style video on my phone of me going into some of the smaller retailers and doing little interviews, showing them the bottles and saying, hey, do you guys think you'd place this on your shelf? And the interviews were like 30 seconds of my buyer saying, yeah, this looks great. And then I actually went into Minehearts where I found my passion when I was like 12 years old for food and removed some existing hot sauces from the shelf and put the Bandar sauces on the shelf and then film that. So I packaged up, you know, the interviews with the retailers, my little video, and I sent it to these guys as a, a video. I uploaded it on YouTube and I said, hey, Dan and Lalit, I made this video for you guys. I think you should come to Canada. And it was a lengthy process for sure. Probably wasted a lot of time, but it was really fun doing it. And sent off the email, sure enough. Next day, I get a call and they're like, hey, let's chat about Canada. Six months after we had them in the market. Man, I love the scrappiness. That is something that the listeners you can take right now. It doesn't have to be professionally produced over the top. You don't need to be Steven Spielberg. Take out your phone, make a video, give up front 
without a fee attached to it, go and show people how you're going to actually make their life better, show how you're going to provide value, and it's going to lead to orders. So that's fantastic, man. Yeah, I think about it always from the receiver's perspective. Like I'm so overwhelmed with emails and stuff and pitches, especially on LinkedIn. I have some challenges with that, which I'm happy to talk about. But if someone sends me a video or they've made a video pitching a service, if it's like 30 seconds, you bet your butt. I'm going to watch that video and that's going to get me excited. It, it just shows, hey, the person put in the extra effort to stand out and albeit, you know, I may not need the service, but I'm certainly going to respond and and um, look to have a transaction with that person. I said to my fiance the other day, as a salesman, I love to be sold to. I love great salespeople that understand how to drive value and are curious and ask a lot of questions. A good salesperson, it's almost seen in mainstream to be a salesperson as the snake oil salesperson or the used car salesman. And that's not what it is. Selling is really being able to demonstrate the value of a product or service. And the people who are best at doing that are the ones that succeed. So I'm right there with you. And LinkedIn, there's a lot of people on LinkedIn sending a lot of blanket messages. Oh, man. Are, are, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> yeah. And Jordan, you know, I have a tip for LinkedIn. And I'm so I was an early adopter of LinkedIn, I think in 2016 or 17. And, and now I'm seeing the power of LinkedIn video. The conversion rate, the views are insane. It's getting a little bit less due to algorithms, I think. But I'm a big fan of doing LinkedIn videos. Again, giving value for nothing. But, you know, the biggest pet peeve that really gets underneath my skin is someone sends a note and it's a pitch right away. Instead of sending a note and a pitch right away, how about that person take some time to look at my contacts and figure out how can I give Jordan some value or make a connection? So the first reach out should be, hey, Jordan, I noticed you're in the food space. I have a friend who does this or someone that does this. I thought I could connect. Make that value connection first and then start the sell. I'm at the point now where if someone sends me a pitch right away, sure, I'll look at it, but I'm not going to respond to it because it doesn't make me feel good. Yeah, it's the wrong approach altogether. I mean, one of the things we did and for listeners, how I got connected with Jordan was actually through LinkedIn. But one of the things that we did with our process, we said, you know, we want to give people the opportunity to come on and promote their story. So how do we go through and actually contact them and say, okay, you know, how does it not come across as a pitch, even though, and there's something that we think, you know, it's a mutually beneficial thing with our guests, but we're not asking you to like buy some software <laughs> in the first message, which has made all the difference, right? And it allows people to actually go on and you can foster a real connection. So I agree with you on LinkedIn is going in something as simple as spending five minutes. If you're going to pitch somebody on a service, go find a hole in their website or their marketing or a software and just correct it for them or show them how to correct it. Or like you did with this, the sauce, which was show them what it looks like on the shelf, yeah. right? Yeah. Start to already start fixing the problem for someone. And they're going to be a lot more likely to bring you on as the future solution. For sure. Now, when you look at the plant-based market as a whole, one of the challenges, I mean, I'm just interested to get your take on this. How can plant-based foods go mainstream at their certain, like what's it going to take at their certain, because I, I do see that as a, a little bit of a hurdle for lower to middle-class families to, you know, get in and start to see the benefits of this diet. If you look at eating, let's take out consumer packaged good plant-based products. So that's anything in a package, right? Let's take that out of the equation. If you look at the cost of eating 
whole foods, so beans, you know, grains, vegetables, fruits, it's substantially lower than dairy, meat, and packaged goods. So substantially lower, but it requires a little bit more creativity and time to put those things together, which I get. But I I don't buy the argument that plant-based eating is expensive. At its root level, at the raw level, it's not. If you were to look at a basket size of, like I said, fruits, veggies, legumes, grains, all that stuff versus their conventional counterparts is much cheaper. That makes sense on the produce side, opposed to the impossible foods, you oh, know, sure. and, and, sure. and that, that side of things. Yeah, and, and no doubt, I mean, Beyond's done a fantastic job of bringing flexitarians, and that's the market. Flexitarians thinking that, hey, they have a solution for you so that you don't need to eat protein at every single meal. You know, maybe on Monday nights you can do Um, meatless Mondays or Taco Tuesdays, and they've developed a great product. However, if you look at the ingredient deck, it's made in a lab. The ingredients are not things that you would find in your kitchen. That, I think, consumers are starting to wake up to that fact and flipping the back of the package over and saying, hmm, I don't recognize this. I'm not sure if I want to put it in my body. And what you're starting to see now is plant-based eating 2.0 with whole ingredients. So look at a company like Very Good Butchers out of Victoria, who actually just went public on the Canadian Securities Exchange. Their ingredient deck is super clean, beans, vegetables, um, and then wheat. And it tastes, I would say, better than uh, a Beyond. So you're going to start to see a 2.0 of all these plant-based brands, but being really clean, similar to what you saw in, in organic coming up. But yeah, absolutely. To answer your question, long way around, the price point is still prohibitive, but I think it's getting lower as distribution and production efficiencies happen. You're starting to see the price drop. I mean, Beyond just did a multi-pack at at Costco and overall you're seeing the price come down. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. We did some work with a vegan subscription box a couple of years ago and it was interesting because a lot of the marketing messaging, we couldn't say, hey, this is healthy because it was vegan chocolates and chips and all of these things that they flat out were not good for you. Um, But it was interesting because when we surveyed the customer base, we found out that about 25% of their consumers were choosing vegetarian veganism due to health benefits, the others for animal rights. So And I think that shift, I think more and more people are waking up to the health benefits, particularly, and then saying, okay, I'm willing to come in and like you said, this plant-based 2.0, where whole foods are are what makes sense to me. Yeah. And totally switching to that unprocessed movement. So it's one of those things where I'm sure that you see that some of the brands you work with benefit just from the overall, I mean, the momentum, the market is going that way, particularly in North America. Now, with that, what are some of the challenges you have around just the sheer number of brands entering the space and the finite amount of, you know, retail space, particularly for the plant-based products, are retailers opening up more space in their stores? Is that competition getting harder? What does that look like? So retailers are opening up uh, more space. You know, with COVID, they're starting to do a lot more category reviews. So that's looking at what are the big movers and, and wanting to keep those on the shelf. What are the brands that are not performing? So they are doing more category reviews, and that's in the favor of plant-based brands. 
um, because they're also seeing that you know the traditional meat system is broken. They're seeing the substantial double-digit growth of the category overall, and and are waking up to the fact that plant-based is not a fad; it's here to stay. As recently as yesterday, the Canadian government made a substantial, I believe it was a hundred million dollar investment into a Manitoba pea processing plant. So you're starting to see it happen for sure. And yes, they are making a lot more space, but you know, there's also the big guys who are pumping out products very quickly to meet that demand and, and cutting out some of the smaller guys. But I think, you know, one of the challenges uh, for the small guys is if they want to come into Canada or expand outside the U.S. is really going into the market first, even before you start making your product, looking at your competitors. What is the average SRP, suggested retail price, of your competitors? What does the market say the price should be at? And then working the P&L backwards and ensuring that you have at least 20% of your FOB pickup price, freight on board. So that would be the price you'd sell to a distributor or retailer dedicated to marketing. And I think that that exercise isn't not never done, but it's not done as much as it should. Because if it's done properly, a lot of these brands shouldn't even be in the market because they they you know won't have enough money for marketing or they're too high priced versus a competition. Interesting. And I'm assuming that's one of the insights that you guys jump in and give to the brands you work with just to say, hey, this is the right move, this isn't the right move, or you know, this is gonna take this marketing effort um, in, in this market. Yeah, correct. I mean, we've had to have a lot of hard conversations with brands once we've gone out and done a pricing competitor analysis in retail and also looked at some of the distributor pricing. And, you know, if you look at, say, chips, for example, and and, uh, like kettle chips, natural kettle chips, that that market, say, you know, the average price is $3. If we work with a brand that wants to come to Canada and we do that intelligence for them and the market's $3 and after everything's said and done, these guys are $4. 425 it's not going to work i don't care how good the product is at the end of the day consumers still will buy kind of the the cheapest thing you know you have to do that work up front to determine where you are if the spread is is too much then you know you got to look at it long and hard and say i probably shouldn't be doing this yeah there's an interesting thing with consumer psychology where they tend to buy the cheapest recognizable brand, right? People won't go to the no-name brand in particular, but they have some brand that has a level of trust. And say you're shopping for a TV and you're like, oh, I've heard of Panasonic before and it's half price on the Sony. The the consumer will a lot of times defer to the cheapest reputable brand, which is uh, like you're saying, if you come in at 150% times market, even though it's only $1.50, it's like, it, you're going to run into problems. And that's in, I mean, not only food, everywhere. I would tell people yeah, yeah. <laughs> pricing pr- pricing is very, very important. And especially in this time where we're seeing people tighten their wallets a lot and tighten their spend. So yeah. there really has to be an affinity with the products they purchase. And that's something too, is I guess working with these brands and plant food brands as a whole from a treat to a necessity. And I'm assuming that comes with marketing to uh, changing the individual consumer's identity, right? To be like, I am a person who eats plant-based. Yeah. Therefore, there is really no option when I go to the store. I have to get these products. Yeah. The bigger market, though, ultimately is a flexitarian. If you look at the Canadian demographics, there's about 2.3 million vegetarians and only 680,000 vegans. So 
the biggest market, if you look at burgers, for example, and merchandising, we want to have plant-based brands beside their uh, traditional dairy or meat counterparts. And the reason why we want to do that is because it makes the shopping experience easier for the consumer. So, you know, if you have a family, mom and dad and, and two kids are going out shopping, you know, dad may want the ground beef and he finds it in the in the beef section. And then right beside it is a, a vegan grounds. And he's like, great, you know, my son's a vegan. I'm going to pick this up here and then I'm going to reach over and bam, I found a, a plant-based alternative. So you just, you've made it easier on the consumer and again, it's the flexitarian, it's that family who you may have some traditional meat eaters, you know, maybe they're wanting to reduce the amount of meat or their kids have, you know, dietary or, you know, ethical reasons for not eating meat. And that's the target that we're going after. And brands really need to speak to that flexitarian. Now it's controversial in the sense that some vegan brands are like, we only want to talk to vegans and I get that, but it's just a, in order to really grow this movement and get people eating less, you know, meat products. It's about not having an intimidating message and, and it being accessible to everybody, regardless of your dietary preferences. And, and I think that's really important for brands to be inclusive in their communication and everything they, that they do. 100% because being combative is only going to scare people off. And to your earlier point or example in the grocery store, you know, I live with my girlfriend and we are that example yeah. where she is skews more to the vegetarian side and I'm a traditional meat eater, but we are definitely there getting like, oh, we can cook your meal with that and my meal with that. And it's uh, like you said, I mean, I'm not unique. Apparently, <laughs> That experience is happening across the country and across both Canada and the U.S. Yeah. Now, Jordan, before I let you go, because I know we're running to the end of our time here, where can people find out more about you and your company online? Sure, they can check out Lloyd James, L-L-O-Y-D-J-A-M-E-S dot C-A, or they can find us on LinkedIn, company page Lloyd James, or my personal page where I love to do uh, those crazy videos, those Bush League videos. And- love to get feedback and comments. So that's where they can find me or they can send an email to info at lloydjames.ca. Awesome. Guys, I will put the links that Jordan just said in the show notes. So you can go down to the bottom of your podcast app, click the show notes page and uh, go to any one of those links. Jordan, thanks for coming on the show today, man. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jordan. Stay uh, safe down there in California. And send some of that heat up our way, huh? I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can do. Everyone, thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please hit like, share, subscribe, all those buttons at the bottom of the podcast app. We appreciate it. Until next time, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Take care. Um.